0: We'll be on page 19 in those notes in our Get a Life series. You see the name on the screen. And we'll get into where we left, pick up where we left off in just a moment. I want to remind you, this afternoon at 2.30 is our quarterly family meeting. That's a congregational meeting. Those who are members of our church are encouraged to come. Excuse me. Okay, okay. So the family meeting is this afternoon at 2.30. If you're a member of the church, I encourage you to come. We've got a number of things to tell you about, some things we're asking the church to approve as as well, 2.30 this afternoon. This Saturday is a family event, Bowling, 1 to 3 at Woodhaven Lanes. So uh, you need tickets for that. You need to get your tickets today. You can get them at the Resource Center. They are $7 each, a maximum of $28 per family. So if you have more than four in your family, you don't pay any more than the $28. And then we have baptism two weeks from today. And what Tim was asking me about just now was a sign-up that is going to go around the uh, the uh, room for the baptism dinner. We always have a dinner uh, after our baptisms as a celebration and a fellowship, most of you know. And we ask the congregation to bring certain items of food for that. So on the sheets that are going to go around, there are categorized items and if you can bring one or more of those, then put your name on them. And uh, there are four of them. So we got four sections to the room. Four clipboards are going around. So your clipboard stays in your section. And if you're the person who's in the front of your section, so this would be Ken and uh, Beth over here and Carolyn here, you'll be the custodian of the, the clipboard, okay? So don't don't pass it over there. Just when it gets to you guys, To the McKenzie's, when it gets to you, Carl, you guys just keep the clipboard, okay? So move it through and uh, get it to the front, and hopefully we'll have uh, everything we need for the baptism dinner. All right, in our series, Get a Life, we've been looking at the fact that God's purpose for everything he does is his glory. So he has created for his glory, and all of his activities in his world are for his glory. But that raises the question, what is God's glory? We've answered that by saying God's glory is the display of his character. So there is who God is intrinsically in his character. God is glorious in all that he is. But then God receives glory. God is glorified when we respond to the display of God's glory in praise and obedience in in our lives. So the purpose for everything that God does is the display of his character and he He desires and deserves that our response to that display be worship. And God deserves to be worshiped by all his creatures. And in fact, when you get to the end of human history, we have a glimpse of that in the book of Revelation, the last book of your Bible. And we see there that there is universal worship of God's God's creatures. But in order for that universal worship to happen, it requires a worldwide mission. And that's why God has given us in what we call the Great Commission, a worldwide mission to go to all nations and make disciples. But the end game of all of that is that God would turn mouths that now curse him into mouths that praise him, that glorify him, and lives that display his, his character. Now, how do we hone in then from that big picture to you, your life, me, and my life? Well, the Bible teaches that God has pursued that glory at very. Glory at various ways and at, very, uh, at various times. And in the time in which we live, the Bible teaches that we are in what some call the, the church age, the age of the church. It is through the vehicle of the church that God is advancing his glory in his world. It is the church that carries out the great commission that Jesus gave to his first followers before he ascended back to heaven. And by extension, that commission continues through us. And we have seen in painstaking detail that the Great Commission and the Church started at the same time, and they advanced together. So it is accurate to say that there should never be a missionless church, nor a churchless mission. There should never be a church that isn't focused on carrying out the mission that Jesus has given. But those mis- the mission that goes forward should also result also always result in churches. And we've seen that in the pattern of the Apostle Paul and a number of ways in, in Scripture that we call the primacy of the church, that the church is God's institution through which he is carrying out his mission in his world to advance his glory. And on pages 17 and 18, we gave a number of reasons that and indications of the primacy of the church. That brings us then to page 19 today. And we left off last week on page 19 with this diagram that summarizes the approach that the great apostle Paul took as laid out in Acts chapter 13 through 28 uh, in that book. Paul's missionary journeys as he advanced the Great Commission, the result of those journeys was also always churches that were established. So he actually carried out that maxim. It's from that that we get it. This idea that there should never be a missionless church nor a churchless mission. And I'm sorry for the bad copy there, but you see the ten steps on Paul's missionary journeys that are summarized by David Hesselgrave in his book, Planting Churches Cross-Culturally. And the very first step that's not listed there is the missionaries are commissioned. So the first step is that you've got missionaries, that is church planters, who are going out from one church to plant other churches. They're commissioned by the church to do that, and we see that in Acts chapter 13. But then step two, if you can read that, it says the audience is contacted. So Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Silas, as you read through the book of Acts, they would go from being sent from the church in Antioch, and they would go to other places, and when they would go to those other places, they would contact Those to whom they were going to give the gospel. That's step three. The gospel is communicated. But you can't communicate the gospel until you find people who need the gospel. Until you contact the audience that you're going to communicate it to. So that's the first thing they would do when they would go into a town is contact the audience. Now, I just want to, I'm not going to go through all ten of these. Uh, You can read those on your own. But those first couples set everything else in in motion when a church is started, when a church is planted. And many of you know that we are in the 15th year of this church. So this church was started this way. This church was started as a plant from a parent church. Our parent church here on Baptist in Flat Rock, at which my family had been for 16 years, and I was on staff there for nine, and then, as you've heard me say, they kicked us out to, to start this. And they sent us with a couple of other families to to do that. Now, when we did that, we had to ask ourselves, well, what are we supposed to do? How do How do you start a church? And we looked at this pattern. And after having been commissioned by our parent church, we want to contact the audience. And there are various ways in which to do that. And we have used and did from the very beginning use various ways to contact the audience to let people know we're here to go to them invite them to us so that we could communicate the gospel and we see that in the pattern of Paul he had a number of ways that he would uh, that he would contact the audience when he would go into a town if you've read through the book of Acts you know that he would go into the synagogues in a town and he would open and allege he would reason with them from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah so that was a that was an audience that he would contact to give the gospel. That was a ready-made place for him to go, the synagogue. But he also went into the marketplace. And he also for a 2-year period in the city of Ephesus rented a building, the lecture hall of Tyrannus, and there he would hold forth the gospel and people would come to to hear. So there were a bunch of methods that he would use to contact the audience in a particular town. Well, that's what we had to figure out. We had to figure out, in our day, how can we do that? And there are a number of ways to do it, and we still are with a number of outreach means, but one of the ways we determined to do this was to have a time uh, most weeks out of the year where we're having a an outreach series to address people who are either unchurched or unsaved. They don't know the Lord. And that's why we have worship first and we have this hour second. That's why we do it reverse of what a lot of folks do. It's not because the Bible doesn't tell us which order to have. The Bible doesn't tell us we need to have two hours. So that's all stuff that we do and churches do because presumably they help us carry out some objectives that God has given us in the New Testament. We determined that this was the most efficient way for us to do that. To have an hour separate from the worship service where we could invite unsaved and unchurched people, that was a means for us to contact the audience. And so do series that we could send mailers to their houses, we could hand out to our friends and say, come to this, and then we're going to try to address these topics and give the gospel through that. So I'm just telling you that to say... There's two thousand years ago, the way these steps were carried out, we have to translate those in now two thousand years later. How do we do the same thing? We're doing the same thing, but we have to do it in ways that are appropriate for our setting. I don't have entree to go into the synagogue. We don't have any, many open air marketplaces to go, to go into, but we did rent our form of a lecture hall for a lot of years. And now we own our own lecture hall, and we can invite people we can invite people to that and then as I say various other means. So that's the that's the pattern that you see and that's the pattern that we have sought to pursue from the very beginning 15, 15 years ago. Now with that, who all is to be involved in? How do we continue now to winnow this down to how it affects you, how it affects me in ordering our lives around the mission? You see toward the bottom of page nineteen every believer has been saved to help accomplish the mission so if this is the means through which god is achieving his glory and expanding his glory in his world if this if everything i've been saying to you for these last few weeks is correct and and it is then then now what do, what do i do well bottom of page 19 each believer has been saved god has called you out of the world and to himself In order for you to be a participant now in the advance of of this mission. If that weren't the case, if all God was interested in is making sure that when you die, you go to heaven, then He ought to, you know, kill us now. I mean, beam me up now, right? Why? What's the point? What's the point of you being around, me being around after we come to Christ? If the only thing that He's concerned about is, The answer to the question, are you going to heaven when you die? And yet so many Christians think that. They think that the only thing that matters is I've got this insurance policy so that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But in fact, God's got work for us to do now. That's why he left us here. And that work means us participating in this mission. Bottom of page 19, the work of the biblical mission does not belong to an exclusive elite group of professional ministers. Every believer is expected to participate in the work. Ephesians 4, it was Christ who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to do this, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. From Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and build itself, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, we're going to see later, uh, probably not later today, but probably next week, we're going to see that God has equipped each of us to do that work. And God has uniquely designed you and uniquely designed me for us to partner together to carry out that work. So that's the way you see it in your New Testament. You go through the book of Acts. That's the pattern you see. You see the centrality of the church to the carrying out of the Great Commission. And then on page 20, that continues. It's not just what you see 2,000 years ago in the Bible, but that mission and that pattern is to continue today. So top of page 20, based on the biblical data just surveyed, the biblical mission can be defined this way. The primary mission of the church, and therefore of the church is. Now let me stop there. That's David Hesselgrave from his book, but he words it that way. The primary mission of the church. Now notice church is capital C. So he's referring there to what I told you about a couple of weeks ago, the the body of Christ, the universal church, the mission of the church. Everybody who's part of the church is part of this mission. But, and therefore, of the churches, that is the local expressions, the local church of gathered believers who are part of the the body, the universal church. The primary mission of the church and therefore of the church is, is to proclaim the gospel of Christ and gather believers into local churches where they can be built up in the faith and made effective in service, thereby planting new congregations throughout the world. It's a a good summary, succinct definition of what we've been looking at. That that's what we're to be about. That our primary mission is to proclaim the gospel, see people converted, gather them into churches, see them built up in the faith, taught how to serve, and then as a result of that, we then reproduce ourselves in in other churches. All right. Let's assume you agree with that. Uh, How are we going to do that practically? Because there are many practical obstacles to us doing that. Not least is we go, each of us goes our own way and does our own thing. And then we try to fit the mission in around that. And that is now what we're looking to address on page 20. The mission pursued. I mean, if that's what the mission is. And if this now is what you have been called out of the world and to God to do in order to advance his glory and his world through the Great Commission carried out through his church, if that's all true, then what does that practically mean for you? What's that practically mean for me? B, on page 20. This is not theoretical information. It is intensely practical truth that must shape our lives and ministries. In view of the mission, what shall we do? And here are some practical implications. Here are some life principles for each of us to follow. The first is we should view all the components of life from the perspective of the objective of the biblical mission. View each area of your life from the perspective of how does this fit in, how does this role that God has called me to play, how does this thing that I'm doing fit into advancing the mission. Well, that means asking questions like, how does my work contribute to the mission? How does my work contribute to the mission? Now, there are lots of books written on this subject of uh, how to see your work from a biblical perspective. And there are many many good ones. Uh, But Here's one flaw that I've seen in almost all of them. Very few of them relate work to the church. That is, the work you do Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday to the church. And if we don't do that, then if the Bible teaches the primacy of the church, then we've missed something extremely important in the way we lay out a theology, a doctrine, an approach toward... Toward work. So how does my work contribute to the mission? Well, there are what should be some obvious ways that if you have a job outside of the home, that your work contributes to the mission. One is that the money that you make in part fuels the mission, right? So we, we go, we work, we're compensated, and part of that compensation goes to fuel the mission. Now, that assumes stewardship on the part of the individual, that they are managing, stewarding their God-given resources so that they can maximize participation financially in the, in the mission. So that's one area that should be obvious to us. If it's not, then I'm, I'm asking you to consider it, that the Bible teaches that God has given us the means of financial sustenance for us to use, yes, for our for our needs, but to advance the cause. And you see that in passages like Philippians 4 that we looked at last week, where the Philippian believers uh, participated financially in the work that Paul was doing. All of us are called to do that. Those of you that have been here for very long know that I don't beat on money, hardly at all. But... You can't avoid the fact that the mission goes forward through the resources that God has given to his people. And those resources fit into various categories. But one of those categories is money, is finances. God has resourced us in order to do that. So one way that my work, your work, fits into the mission is the money that we earn provides fuel for the mission to to go forward. So that's one. Also... While I'm at work, the people that God providentially brings into my circle of influence are contacts for evangelism to carry out the mission. So in my work, I need to intentionally and consciously ask the Lord to bring people into my pathway, co-workers, clients, whatever the structure of your work is, bring people that I can witness Christ to. In my work. Now that's all a mouthful as well, isn't it? Because if I'm going to do that, I need to be looking for opportunities. Um, The Bible teaches that very thing. Looking for making the most of every opportunity. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. It's an evangelistic context. And one of the things it tells us to do is to be watchful, pray, make the most of every opportunity. Okay, so I've got to do that. I've got to ask the Lord to open those doors. I've got to be looking for those doors. But it also means when I'm at work, I've got to behave in a way that is befitting Christ. Because if I'm not, if I'm the Bible thumper at work that everybody hates, and then I'm cornering people trying to give them the gospel, guess what? You've got no credibility. So how am I going to see my work? My, my money is fuel for the mission. The work that I do, I ask God to open doors in order to give contacts for giving the gospel. This assumes I live in a way that gives credibility to the gospel. But then in addition, in addition to that, if I'm really going to be used as an instrument of God with these contacts that my work affords me, And he opens doors for me to give the gospel, and by God's grace, some are brought to him. Well, then now what? Now what happens with those people? Because remember, the Great Commission is not just make converts, it's make what? Make disciples. So our work is not done when somebody makes a profession of faith. That's that old idea that you make the profession of faith. We've sealed the deal. We've got the insurance policy. Now go ahead and do what you're going to do with the rest of your life. But the good news is when you die, you're going to go to heaven. That's the way many people approach it. But Jesus didn't say get secure professions of faith. He didn't say make converts. It's make disciples. And making disciples is baptizing them and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So now in my work, I not only want to use the money that God gives me out of that work to fuel the mission, not only see that as a mission field for contacts for the gospel, but also I want to partner with the church in order to disciple this person. Now, that works well if you work, if you work fairly close, if you work fairly close to church. Uh, you then should be telling people about stuff that's happening at church. We try to offer you ways to do that. We try to offer you things to invite people to so that they, if they're converted or if they're not converted, invite, invite them to a Discovering God series so that by God's grace maybe they'll be converted through that. But the idea is to acquaint them with the church where they can be baptized and be taught to obey everything I've commanded you, to be discipled. That's got to happen then in partnership with the church. So do you think about that? Do you think about that at your work? Lord, open up possibilities for me to give the gospel. And then those who show interest, invite. Those who receive Christ, then tell them the next step is is baptism. And then move them into the church. And into the life of the church. So they become part of pursuing God's glory in his world. Do you think about that? Now that works well as I say. If you're close proximity where somebody can come to the church. Some of you work a long way away from here. And some of you don't work in one place. Some of you are all over the place. So how do you? what do you do with that? And in, in that case you need to partner with with other churches. Partner with us to help you partner with other churches. Now here's what I mean. Uh, some we got we got guys in our church that get up, leave their house at like five in the morning, four thirty in the morning to go from here to to Auburn Hills. Well if you if you've got a coworker in Auburn Hills that you're witnessing to and they come to Christ or they're interested in learning more they, pro- they may well live up that way they're not coming down to Trenton nor should nor do we want them to. So we partner then to say where is there a gospel preaching Bible believing church there that you can recommend to them Maybe you even go there a time or two with them so that they can be connected to a church to a church there. Same thing is true for those of you that are on the road. Now we have an advantage in our day, in that we've got networking through the Internet. And you've got organizations with lists of churches at places all over the country. I'll just give you one example. Our church is listed on a website called Nine Marks. It's the number nine, and then the word M-A-R-K-S, 9marks.org. And if you were to go to that website, it's before I tell you what's there, it's so named... Because there's a book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And churches who believe in those nine marks of a healthy church and try to pursue those then can become part of the Nine Marks Network. So if those churches have told the truth about who they are, which I'll assume they have, that they believe in these nine marks and they actually pursue them in their ministry, then you can have some confidence in these churches that are listed on their directory. So you can go to 9marks.org, you can, you can plug in a location, and then it'll spit out the churches that are, in that, that are in that area. Now, if for some reason there's not a church in that area that's spit out by 9marks, see me, I've got other networks for that. So we have an advantage in our day for us and you to partner with churches just about wherever you are, wherever you work or wherever your work takes you. So this is a different way then for us to to view our work. And it's it's a way that views our work in light of the mission that God's called us to and how I can play a role in that work um, for advancing the mission. Now, in order to do that, one of the things that you'll need to do is lose the idea that because you spend most of your time, most of your week at work, rather than at church. Therefore, work is more important than church. You could easily fall into that. You say, well, this is where I spend most of my week. This must be the most important thing I do. But if if the mission of the church is primary in God's program, then actually what happens through the vehicle of the church is actually the most important stuff you do. And your work fits in around that. So the, the fact that you spend many hours at work does not mean that that's the most important thing. It means that I want to use those hours in order to pursue the most important thing. But it's a it's a way of training your mind then to think about it. Now, if you look back at the middle of page 20, we've got to ask questions like, how does my work contribute? Or, you see next there, how can I instill a commitment to the mission in my children? Now, if if, if you do the first one, if you order your work around the mission, then you're going to be somebody, if you have children, you're going to be somebody whose children see that mom and or dad care about this. But if not, if, look at the second question, my recreational pursuits, are they a help or a hindrance? If what our children see is that I've got all of this other stuff that's really what makes me tick. Really what turns my crank. This is really what gets me excited. And then we go to church. If I'm simply somebody who goes to church, but my mission is actually other stuff, that's what your kids catch. But if they see a dad and a mom who have prioritized the stuff that they do around the mission... That's caught more than it's taught. And it will be caught either for ill or for good. So you've got to arrange your life around that. Your children will will see that. And you want your children to be committed to the mission and to the church. If you've got teenagers, <laughs> thankfully we've got a great bunch of teenagers. And we've got a great, great, great youth group. Thank the Lord for that. But I used to be a youth leader. And you've heard me lament for the sake of those poor children that I was their youth leader because I was kind of a lousy youth leader. No, not kind of. I really was a lousy youth leader. Thankfully, we've got good youth leaders here. But here's one of the things I experienced in my lousy youth leader years. We would have an event that the teens were going to be doing, and I would call to remind. And a parent would answer the phone and they would say, oh, okay, that's going on. Let me see if she wants to go. Or let me see if he wants to go. Now, do you see what the parent has instilled in their child? You just go to this if you want to go to it. Not this is central to what we're about as a family. And your involvement in the life of the church is central to what we're about as a family. So for our girls, it was never, do you want to go? The assumption is that you're going. Now, we want you to enjoy going. We want to have a youth group such that our kids want to be there. But the truth is, there are times where the thing that they might be doing is not your cup of tea. You still go. And as much as possible, you arrange your life around that. You look at the last question here. How can I free my life? from unnecessary entanglements that sap time and energy from the mission. How many of my hobbies and all of those things are taking precedence over the pursuit of the mission through God's church? All right, and then focus on eternal rewards for the work of the biblical mission rather than the temporal rewards that come from the priorities of the world. View material possessions as temporary tools to be used for the mission. Seek satisfaction in ministry rather than career, relationships, possessions, and so on. Pray for a love of Christ's return and meditate on your meeting with him. So take the long view. And when I stand before the Lord, what's going to matter? And what's going to matter, friends, is 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15 kinds of stuff. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. And what's that? It's the judgment seat of Christ. And what sort of works do I present to the Lord? Do I present wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones? And then C, demonstrate the primacy of the local church in the way you structure your life. In the words of the common church covenant and our church covenant, so the church covenant that we have and to which you ascribed if you're a member of our church, which is about 150 years old, it says, we determined to give the church, quote, a sacred preeminence over every, over every institution of human origin. So attend its services faithfully, support its work generously, serve its programs diligently. Seriously consider your participation in church planting efforts. I'll talk about those in, in a minute, in a bit. So here's one practical way families that we do this, one just one. Do you make your personal and family calendar and then try to fit the church in around it? Or do you take what's happening at the church and fit your calendar around that? I recommend that you do the second one of those. One of the reasons that we try to be so diligent at months before the beginning of a new year to have everything that's going to be happening in the mission through the church out on the calendar is so that you can go to that and then you can structure accordingly now there're going to be times where there are conflicts with that that just can't be avoided but you're going to prioritize what's going on at the church you structure your life around the church if you're part of if you believe that is central to the mission i was taught this this is hard stuff guys gals i know uh, my parents did this to me. Okay, they did this for me. <laughs> when I was a kid. And it stuck with me all these years. Some of you have heard me tell the story about playing hockey when I was a kid. And uh, the town I grew up in, was that was their big thing. E-Course was big on hockey. Before it was big on riots and stuff, it was big on hockey. Okay, <laughs> And... You had a house team and you had what they called a travel team. And the house team was anybody who didn't make the travel team, okay? And you wanted to be on the travel team, but the problem for me was making the travel team meant that I had to miss a game every week. Every week, because there was a game on Sunday morning. And my parents said, you can be on the travel team, but you're not going on Sunday. And they had they went and talked to the coach. And they said, he's not coming on Sunday. And the coach let me be on the team anyway. I was on like fourth line. And there are only four lines. <laughs> because of that, it ticked off some of the families. It ticked off some of the other coaches. I remember after one game that we lost, this is this has happened. After one game that we lost, and I had done some boneheaded thing in a game, we're in the locker room, we've all got our heads down, and we would always get chewed out by the coaches. This was before the days of lawsuits. <laughs> okay? Those coaches just said whatever they wanted to say. And there were times, when they not, they didn't abuse us, but there were times where they would get in your grill, and when they are in your grill, they would say, are you listening? They hit you on the side of the head. You listening to me? Now, if that happened today, that would be a lawsuit, right? But we, yes, sir. And so these guys, so one of the assistant coaches comes in. I'd done some boneheaded thing. And he yells, where's Brown? At church? <laughs> That's what he says, at church? And there I am, slunk down over in the corner, and he comes over and chews me out. But that was, you know, this dude, he goes to church and you know, all that. What, anyway, that was, just, that was just part of what we needed to bear for prioritizing what was more important than hockey. And my parents taught me that, and I was glad I got to play, but I'm also glad that they taught me what was most important. Now, parents, that means you got to make some hard decisions sometimes. Um, just as just as an aside, you know these things conflict sometimes. You make a determination we're going to do that. My kid, I want my kid to play soccer. I want them to learn athletics, all that, which is which is very good. And you try to work it out, and you just try to work out the schedule as best you can, prioritizing what's most important. And sometimes there are unavoidable conflicts. But I never got to play on Sunday. But one weekend we had a game on Saturday and Sunday. Saturday and Sunday. But a cousin of mine was getting married in Ohio on Saturday. So we go to this wedding in Ohio. And I have to miss the game. Now, my mom had told me the wedding was like at at noon, and the game was like at 6 o'clock back here. And she's like, we'll be back in time. So I thought we'd be back in time. And then I'm watching and the reception and the whole bit and how long it takes to get back. And I'm saying to mom, and we don't get back in time. So I missed the Saturday game, but my mom says this. My dad had passed away at this point. My mom says, look, uh, because we missed the Saturday game, I'm going to let you play tomorrow's game, Sunday. I'm going to let you go. Well, I'm just thrilled. And I uh, call the coach and I say, hey, I'm sorry. I had this wedding in Ohio, and but I get to come tomorrow. And he says, no, you don't. He had a policy, if you miss a game, you don't get to play the next game. So, I missed two games that weekend. I'm not bitter. (laughs) But it's profoundly affected me adversely for the rest of my life. I tell you that because here's my mom. she got the wedding thing. She's trying to figure it out, and she was going to let me do that. It didn't happen, turns out, but she was going to let me. There are conflicts like that that happen. But parents who are prioritizing the work of the mission instill that in their children and instill that the earlier the better. All right, so those are life principles for us to follow. Hey, what time do you guys have? What is it? Five to twelve? Because my watch stopped. <laughs> it did. <laughs> it did. I'm at I'm at twelve thirty nine right now, so I've got another twenty one minutes. So sit tight. All right, I've got five five minutes to noon then. Okay. Bottom of page twenty. A church culture for each of us to strengthen. We must joyfully embrace sacrifice for the sake of the mission. We minister in the richest society in history. Sacrifice is a foreign concept in the culture at large and unfortunately characterizes too few of God's people. We must must learn to derive our joy from the spread of God's fame in His world. We must maintain a church planting mindset that is, understand that effective ministry culminates in the reproduction of local churches. And then we must do the work of church planting. Now, what does that mean practically for you? It means right now for you to be cultivating a mindset that says, when, and by the way, when, not if, our church is able to break off people from here to plant another church that you're thinking now about the possibility of being willing to be a part of that. Now, if you can't or you just won't, or then you know we're not gonna we obviously can't force people, but we want to have a congregation of people who are willing to sacrifice the comforts of where we are now in order to advance the mission in another place. That's what we had to do when we started this church. We we, we took people out of a church where they had been for a number of years, my family included, uh, the Carrico family included. Uh, We thankfully had early on some others join us. Uh, Larry and Julie Castle joined us fairly early on. And all of them were coming out of churches that they had been in for a lot of years and were very comfortable. But were willing to sacrifice that to go to some unknown thing in order to advance the mission. Jessica, uh, Jessica was our only teen. So a few months into it, we have a, we have a, when I say a teen group, I mean a teen group and Larry's the youth leader and he's got one teenager. Now, how do you get your teenager to say, I'm going to go and do that coming out of an established youth group to go and be the only teen? And the truth is you don't know if you're going to have any other teens. Well, it's only because you've got parents who are instilling years prior to that. This is what we're about. This is how we roll. And so Jessica was willing to do that. And then a few months after that, Ken and Beth came. And they brought their three kids with them. And the youth group went from one to four. And I told Larry, you should write books. How to grow your youth group 300% overnight. And in God's grace, he started He started to bring people. But you didn't know that. We didn't know that. I can still remember, I'll finish with this, we'll pick up on page 21 next week. But I remember Ed Martin. The Martins came because the castles came. And they're uh, Julie's dad and mom, Ed and Sharon Martin. But Ed and Sharon came, and I remember we're a few months into it, and you know we're bringing stuff in as we had to do every week for years. Everybody brought stuff in from their houses in bins that we had to break out and set everything up. And we're doing that, and Ed's walking down the hallway with this basket of stuff, and he looks at me and he says, "So is this the way the Apostle Paul did it?" And I go, uh, "I think so." <laughs> And, you know, what he's expressing is the same thing we all had. What is the Lord going to do? Where is that going to go? The truth is we don't know. But we know it's the right thing to do. And then let's see what the Lord see what the Lord does with it. Now, you take people who said, I'm willing to have my kid be the only teen in that group. I'm willing to come from comfortable places to go and expand the gospel into another area. And as a result of that, from a few people, Countless people have been blessed by the ministry of the gospel through that. Years later, we have been able to baptize about 150 people through this church. People who come to Christ and people who want to follow him publicly in baptism. But none of that happens if you don't have some people who say, I'm willing to give up what's comfortable for what matters most. So for you, for me, for all of us, we've got to be thinking now, am I willing to do that? Is my family willing to do that? Because there's going to come a time in a few years here as part of our next plan, our 10-year plan, where we're going to have a church plant and we're going to break some people off from here to be the nucleus of that church plant. But that's only going to happen if you have people who are willing to be that kind of in that kind of sacrificial uh, arrangement. So be thinking about that, and we'll continue on page 21 Next week, let's pray and ask God to be with us this week. Lord, we thank you for the blessings of this day, the opportunity to open your word, to be taught, to mingle with one another, to talk to one another, to encourage each other. Lord, so many blessings afforded to us as we come together as your people on the Lord's day. So we thank you for it. And, Lord, we thank you in particular for what we've been considering this hour and what it is you have called us to do and the need for us to structure our lives and to think uh, in our minds toward that end. So, Lord, I pray that we will be a congregation full of people who willingly and joyfully do that because we believe that your fame needs to be spread, that it is worthy to be spread. And that we believe what your word teaches us. That your word is spread through the multiplication of your church throughout your world. And so that we are willing to be a part of that and see that advance take place. So Lord, help us in practical ways this week to, to ponder, to consider the structure of our lives and our schedules and our priorities. And Lord, may we make changes as appropriate. And as a result, may you use this place to advance your cause in your world through us. Go with us this week, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.